Three points for this morning. Uh, evangelism happens through prayer. Evangelism happens through declaration. And evangelism happens through godly living. Uh, those, those three points are already kind of pushing against a little bit of a stereotype of what we have for evangelism. Uh, I, I call it the crisis conversion. The crisis conversion is when uh, you know, somebody's kind of reached the end of their rope. Uh, they have nowhere else to turn. They, they come to you. Uh, they say, what do I do with my sin? And you kind of pull out your, your spiritual booklet. Uh, you, you walk them through the four spiritual uh, laws or whatever. Uh, and then they say a sinner's prayer and become a believer right there. Uh, if, that's, if that's your experience, I think that's wonderful. Uh, I think that's a completely legitimate conversion. Uh, but ex- uh, evangelism encounters like that aren't, aren't statistically common. That's, that's not the way that most people come to faith. Uh, and what's even more so, uh, the Bible doesn't treat that as normal. I, I think the, the Bible doesn't say that's, that's the way that evangelism is normally done. Uh, I think it's something much more of a way of life, uh, and it's much more grounded in following God's initiative. So let's take a look at the passage. It's Colossians 4, uh, verses 2 through 6. This is the word of the Lord. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open a door to us for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so let me know how you ought to answer each person. Thank you. That's great. So I'm going to turn off this one. You guys hear it? Awesome, cool. Thanks for being gracious. Cool. Uh, Jesus, we want to hear from you this morning. Uh, so would you use your word uh, and minister to us in our need? In Jesus' name, amen. So we're talking about evangelism. First point is evangelism happens through prayer. Uh, you see that very clearly in verses uh, 2 and 3, where Paul is telling the church they need to be praying. He's saying you need to be, be praying that people will come into the faith. Uh, this is not some isolated little, thing, isolated little point of his at the end of a letter. It's all over his letters and it's all over scripture. Uh, we're supposed to be praying for people to come into the faith. Uh, this, is, this is something that's foundational to what it means to be a Christian. Uh, Paul actually qualifies this and he uses the word uh, steadfast. Our prayer needs to be something that's continually steadfast. Uh, so we, we need to be persistent and dedicated uh, in praying for people that they would uh, come to know the Lord. One commentator describes steadfast prayer as a resolve to pray and not give up or grow weary. So we're supposed to be dedicated in our prayer, uh, even when it's difficult or inconvenient, or we have good reasons not to pray. Uh, and I don't think Paul is making a suggestion here. I don't think he's saying, like, you know, wouldn't it be nice if this is what your life looked like? He's, he's, he's saying that this is actually uh, what he wants us to, to do. He wants us to pray in a way that's persistent and dedicated. Um, and it's not some lofty ideal. It's attainable for every believer. Uh, so this is our goal, dedicated prayer over here. But the reality is something like this over here. We usually feel guilty about prayer. Prayer feels like a burden. Uh, we don't do it. Uh, and the fact that I think Paul is always telling people keep praying, that means his churches struggle with, uh, with this. I felt that at times. Uh, prayer is a burden. I don't desire it. Uh, why, why is that? And maybe you've also felt like that. So let's, let's examine why that is the case. Uh, if you went to the men's retreat recently, a few weeks ago, uh, Dan gave a, a really great talk about how to grow as a Christian. Uh, he actually addressed this question right here. Why do we... Um, why do we struggle with desiring prayer? Why do we struggle with actually praying? I'm going to share a few of his thoughts. They're really helpful for me. 
He said this, uh, we, we appreciate prayer as a duty, but not as a means of grace. Uh, so prayer is a duty, but not as a means of grace. A means of grace is a way that God cares for us. It's a way that he provides for us uh, and ministers to us. Uh, and so the reason we pray is, is because we actually need caring for. Uh, we have needs, we have weaknesses, we have sin that drives us to pray. Uh, and as we pray, uh, God promises to take our weakness and our, our sinfulness and our struggles uh, and our lack of desire and actually transform us into faithful people who desire God. And so prayer, prayer is not so much of a burden uh, that just tax on one more duty for you to fail at. Uh, it's actually a grace that enables you to fail your, uh, fulfill your duties. Um, I kind of have in mind the image of uh, a marathon runner drinking Gatorade. You know, prayer, prayer is the Gatorade the marathon runner drinks. It's not the marathon itself. If you feel like prayer is a burden, it's maybe because you're kind of treating it like the marathon rather than the power source uh, for how to grow and, and love the Lord. So we know we need to be praying in a way that's dedicated and persistent. What are we praying for? Paul tells us in verses 3 and 4 what we're praying for is open doors. Open doors, is, it's kind of slang uh, in, our, in our evangelical churches. It's also slang in the New Testament. An open door was an encounter, uh, was a missionary word that described uh, where people had opportunities to actually go and share the gospel. Uh, so somebody would, um, you know, they would, they would go into some missionary land, they would need an opportunity, and God would go and create those opportunities. So God wants us to be praying for open doors. The assumption here is that one of the obstacles to evangelism is the lack of open doors. Uh, and so the Lord promises through prayer to actually create opportunities for us to go share the gospel. Uh, this, this point kind of reminded me of an experience I had earlier this year. I had a friend who was a believer, or was, wasn't a believer, uh, really wanted to know the Lord, also felt like it would be kind of awkward or weird to go share the gospel with them, wasn't really sure, and so I, I was kind of praying for opportunities to share the gospel. And we were out one night, we were, we were hanging out with some people, and he was sitting across from me, and he had this kind of pensive look on his face, and He's getting more and more thoughtful like this, and, and suddenly, all of a sudden he looks up at me and says, so John, what, what is it that Christians actually believe? You know, like, what, what is it that, like, you know, what, what are the core beliefs of a Christian? I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, does this ever happen, you know? And, and, and I think what was happening with that experience is exactly what Paul's talking about here, that if we're faithful to pray for opportunities, uh, God's giving us a promise that he'll actually fulfill for us. Um, I've met a lot of Christians recently who... Uh, I don't, I don't know how to put it other than saying like they struggle with feeling like God's real. Uh, you know, they'll say, I think the Bible's true. Uh, I, I believe Jesus is my Savior, but I, I don't feel like God is real. Uh, and so I, I kind of you know, ask, what do you mean by that? And it's usually something like, God seems really active and present in other people's lives. He doesn't feel active and present in my life. Uh, and, and the reason we feel like God's not real is because there's a disconnect between Scripture and its truths and promises uh, and our experience. You know, Scripture will say some truth, uh, and we look at our experience and we don't see those truths made real in our life. Uh, and so the way we actually we experience God's realness is when there's that connection between Scripture uh, and our experience. And what's, what's happening right here, uh, I think, is a, a really legitimate way to feel like God's real. You know, if, if we pray for these uh, evangelistic encounters, uh, opportunities to share the gospel, uh, God promises to show himself to be real, uh, active and present in our life. So when I was... Uh, when I had that experience earlier this year with my friend, my, my response obviously wasn't like, oh, this is random, or, you know, I obviously engineered this. It was like, God just answered prayer, like he's real and active in my life. So this is something that we can rely on. Uh, so not only should we be praying in a way that's dedicated uh, to, uh, for God opening doors, but our prayer should have a certain orientation or vision to it, and that's the kingdom orientation. Uh, Paul's saying that we need to be praying that ultimately people would come under Christ's reign and people would be brought into his kingdom. Uh, this is much different than we, how we sometimes pray. 
a common way to pray is that God would uh, save souls to go to heaven. Uh, this is a really common prayer. And I'm, I'm just going to be honest. I hope this isn't too offensive. You have to hear me out. But I don't get excited about the idea of souls going to heaven. Uh, in fact, I don't even think it's, uh, it's biblical. Uh, and I don't think it's um, uh, something that shouldn't really necessarily excite us. So I was trying to think of a, um, a metaphor to how to explain this kind of confusing idea. So I came up with a, a confusing metaphor also. So maybe you can, maybe you can set me straight after church. Uh, but I'll, I'll give it a hack and then... Uh, we'll, we'll see what you guys think. But praying for souls to go to heaven uh, is a lot like buying an old car to replace your already old car. Praying for people to come under Christ's kingdom is a lot like inviting somebody over for a really exciting holiday dinner. Uh, with, with the old car, you know, um, you're, you're, you're having some engine problems maybe. You know, you, 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 you want to go get another car, you get the old car. You know it's objectively better. You know it works, but you don't actually experience that goodness. Uh, and it's the same with pr- way with praying for souls to go to heaven. Praying for an abstract soul to live out an abstract existence in heaven is something that you don't actually experience. Maybe you can convince yourself that it's objectively better, uh, but you don't experience it. But what about the holiday dinner? Uh, it's, it's all about the experience. You know, it's all about the delicious food. It's all about the conversations. Uh, you know, if this isn't your experience, you can, you know, imagine that that's, you know, your experience. But, you know, you, you have all these great encounters, uh, and you're up to here and just wonderful experiences. Same thing with Christ's kingdom. Uh, Christ's kingdom is something that actually exists in, hev- or in, in uh, history. Uh, we, we can actually experience it. Christ really did die. He really did rise from the dead. Uh, if you want to experience it, we're actually experiencing it right here. The people next to you are filled with Christ. We, we're actually eating Christ's body right here. Uh, when people are speaking up here, it's Christ's words to you. Uh, that's pretty profound, and that's something that's very experiential. Here's, here's the working principle, I think, that makes this the case. We can't desire something without imagining it. If you can't imagine it, you're not able to desire it. And so praying for souls to go to heaven, uh, I can't imagine that. I don't really desire that also. Praying for people to meet Jesus as their king is something I can actually imagine uh, and actually desire. For me, something that motivates me a lot is just my own testimony. I I spent kind of a a long time searching for God uh, and being pretty desperate and and living under a lot of despair. And when when I became a believer, it was an actual moment in time and I remember being filled, uh, overwhelmed with peace. I mean, this indescribable, overwhelming peace. And I still feel that. I and mean, I think, like, why do I want people to know the Lord? Um, part of it's because I have this experience I want other people to have. I want other people to have that experience. And so our desires really matter with evangelism. You know, it really matters that we desire people to know the Lord. And part of that, the way that works, is that we need to be praying that people would come to Christ's historical reign. And when we do that, it also stimulates our desires. So we know we need to be praying for, um, in a way that's dedicated and persistent. Uh, did that make sense? You got it? Okay. Well, I wasn't sure. I'm glad it wasn't as confusing as I thought it was. So, but, so we need to be praying uh, in a way that's persistent. We need to be praying for open doors and ultimately so that people will meet Jesus as their king. The next point about evangelism is that it happens through declaration. You see that in verses 3 and 6, that God isn't just relying on us. Uh, he's not just the one who initiates salvation. He's not the one who's just saving people. He's actually enlisted us into his service to carry out the work of salvation. And one of the ways we do that is through speaking. And, and Paul has a special way of describing He says, our speaking will be declaring. We're going to be declaring uh, something. You know, declaring is kind of like, uh, it has this idea of like, something amazing is going on over here. You know, that, that's what we're going to be doing. We say something awesome is going on. Um, but with that awesome thing is the gospel that we're sharing. The word gospel itself means a message of good news. And at the time of Caesar, when, when, a, uh, when a Caesar would gain a victory over his enemies, he would conquer somebody, uh, and he would bring peace to the land. He would send messengers throughout the land 
uh, telling people about his victory. And that was called the good news, the peace he brought and the victory that Caesar won. Uh, and the same thing is going with us as believers, that we're messengers who Christ has sent throughout the realm to go tell people about the good news of his victory and the peace he's won. Uh, but it not only matters that Christ is king, it matters that Christ isn't Caesar. Those are two really important things. Christ is king, but Christ isn't Caesar. But uh, for me, kind of a helpful thing I've had the last couple of years, uh, wondering, like, what is a disciple? What is a Christian even? It's, it's this. Christ is king, but he's not like other kings. And this is really important. Caesar, when he would win his, uh, his victories, uh, he would crush and destroy his enemies. You know, he, he won his battles through bloodshed. Uh, Christ is a just king uh, who deserves to punish the lawbreakers, but he's also a loving king who decides to punish himself so he doesn't have to punish us. Uh, you know, Caesar was all about receiving glory. He was all about having everyone serve him. Christ, even though he deserves the glory and deserves to be served, actually gave up all of his glory to come and serve you. Uh, and so this is, this is what the difference between the two kings, Caesar and Christ, and this is the differences between the kingdoms. Uh, one is a kingdom of, of fear and bloodshed. Another is a kingdom of forgiveness and love. And so this is the message that we declare to people, is that Christ is king and he's not like the other kings. He's a king who, bring, who brings peace to his enemies. Uh, I think it's really helpful to appreciate messen, uh, what it means to be a messenger. Um, there are a couple implications of this. The first is that a messenger doesn't have to be really crafty. You know, a messenger doesn't have to have uh, really intelligent things to say. They don't have to be like a Bible thesaurus. You know, you don't have to have all the arguments and, you know, whatever else. You have to be good with words, whatever. Um, but you have to get the message right. You know, so the, the power is in the message. It's not necessarily in the messenger themselves. Uh, and so I, I know a lot of people struggle with evangelism. Maybe you're, you're desirous, I want to go share the gospel. Uh, but you feel like it's requiring a bunch of skills uh, that you have to be good at. And you're kind of like, I, you know, I don't have those skills. I feel inadequate. I don't want to go out and do it. Uh, and so the fact that we're messengers, I think, kind of unburdens us from having to, um, having to have all these self-sufficient, all these good skills. So uh, being an evangelist, being a messenger, is really just talking about Jesus. You know, if you, if you have to study a subject, it's something that you have to study, or uh, if you want to talk about a subject, it's something you have to study a lot. Uh, but talking about a person's easy. You just have to know the person. And that's what we're doing in evangelism. We're just talking about Jesus that we, we already know and love. I think one of the best ways to do this is through sharing your testimony. Um, you know, we, we live in a culture where, uh, you know, information-heavy, argument-heavy, evangelistic uh, presentations are really kind of less and less effective. Uh, what matters is, is being able to share your testimony. Uh, you know, being able to show that God's goodness has been made real in your life. You don't have to have one of those crazy drugs to Jesus stories. I know that's kind of a common concern that a lot of people feel like they have, you know, a second-rate testimony because they don't have the, the crazy story. Uh, and that's, that's not true at all. You know, what makes an amazing story is that God's taken something that's dead and made it alive. And so we all have amazing, wonderful stories. But learn to share your story in a way that shows God's goodness. Another, where am I? All right. So we don't need the hard skills. Last point of evangelism, uh, it happens through godly living. Uh, there are a couple ways, a couple implica uh, ways this happens. Um, uh, the first is through imitating Jesus. You see that in verses 5 and 6, uh, where Paul says, we're to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Walking, you, pro you know, probably heard this, walking with God, is an Old Testament phrase uh, that has this image of both following somebody, uh, one person walking behind another person like this, trying to follow in their footsteps, and so that means that the person who's leading has authority over the person who's following. It also means that the person who's following wants to imitate the person who's leading. Uh, so there's this kind of twofold meaning. It means that for us to walk with God, 
we uh, submit to his authority, we obey him by imitating his character. Uh, and this, this is really amazing, actually, is that we get, to, we get to imitate God's character. And Paul, Paul develops this in Colossians, and he says things like, uh, walk in wisdom, Christ is wisdom. Uh, you started with Christ, walk in Christ. And so what he's, he's saying, he's using this Old Testament idea of walking with God and developing it, saying we're supposed to be submitting to Christ, honoring his authority by imitating his character. And if you're wondering what is Christ's character, Paul gives us a really nice summary uh, in chapter 3, verse 12. He says, Christ's character is this. It's his compassion, kindness, meekness, humility, and patience. That's in chapter 3, verse 12. And, um, so this is the character that God wants us to possess. Uh, he wants us to be people who are compassionate and kind uh, and patient. And if, if you're wondering, like, how do I... How do I do that? How do I get that character? It doesn't actually start with you engineering your own character. Uh, it starts actually with appreciating God's character. Uh, and so the more you lean into God's character, the more you, you realize that he's been compassionate towards you, uh, that this is actually defining him. He's been kind towards you. He's a king who deserves to be served, but he's actually meek and he's come to serve you. Uh, he's patient towards you in your sin. The more you believe this, the more you lean into it, the more you experience it, the more you become like Christ in his character. And the clearest expression of Christ's character is on the cross. And so it's ultimately leaning into the cross, uh, trusting Christ as your Savior as it develops this character of compassion and meekness and, and so on. There's a common debate in churches and with theologians and stuff that divides, uh, divides people where they're trying to pit declaration against godly living. Uh, some people will say it's all about declaration. It's all about you know, proclaiming the gospel. Um, you know, who cares if, if you know, people are starving? And then there's, there's the other side that will say it's all about social justice, it's all about deeds of love, but it's arrogant to, pro, uh, to proclaim the gospel. And what I'm, what I'm hoping is that you can see that this is a false dichotomy. Uh, scripture never pits the two against each other. It actually holds declaration, and godly living often says they're both essential. Um, so another way that our godly living is evangelistic is through this idea of saltiness. Uh, all over the New Testament, we're told to be salt. Uh, we're, we're compared to salt, we're, we're supposed to be salty. And salt had multiple purposes, but one that it's had back then, it still has now, is it creates flavor. It's something that's interesting, it's enjoyable. Uh, and so Paul, by saying, uh, uh, saying that we're supposed to be salt, is uh, saying that we're supposed to actually be people that are interesting and enjoyable and exciting and bring flavor uh, to where we are. And when I was studying this, I had this kind of paralyzing uh, thought. I'm like, I'm supposed to be interesting. I'm like, am I interesting? And I'm like, I don't think I'm that interesting. This is not good. And so let me... Let me say what I think it means to be salty or interesting. Uh, it doesn't mean cool, you know. It doesn't mean like everybody got to, you know, be like you. You've got it, you know. Uh, what it's really talking about is I have this image of a, of a mirror in my mind, kind of a dull, fuzzy, fuzzy mirror, uh, you know. And, and people will, will look at you and they'll say, kind of like, what is that image I see in the mirror, uh, you know? And and they'll, they'll kind of maybe change positions and they'll say like, what what is that? And they'll ask questions maybe and they'll they'll be intrigued. By, by what they see. They'll be drawn in and captured and attracted to it. Um, what they're seeing is actually Jesus. It, it's Jesus in you. Jesus being imitated and you reflected to you uh, throughout the world. And so maybe you're here this morning because you're like, there's something about Christian community I'm really attracted to. Uh, and, and I think what you're seeing is Jesus. You're actually seeing Jesus in people. So uh, think about that possibly. But what, it, what, is it, what does it mean uh, to be interesting, uh, to be you know, salty? I wrote down a couple ideas. Uh, these are one of them is not in the, the passage itself, but it's very biblical, so kind of hold it with an open hand. But it's this, I think interesting people who are, are, are people who enjoy the richness of creation. 
they, they enjoy it, they celebrate it. There are people who love uh, you know, mountains and flowers and oceans. They love um, books and literature and good food and music and, and all these things. You know, they love the diversity of culture. Uh, and, and you guys as good Bellinghamites are already good at this. You guys are kind of like A plus, you know. You're, you're doing a great job at that so far. Um, and we love these things because our Lord made them. Uh, he, he values them. He, he wants us to enjoy them. He wants us to be stewards of them. Uh, and so it, it's a really good thing. We ought to be loving the richness of creation. But if, if you've ever met somebody who's, who's kind of enjoys the richness of creation, somebody who's maybe uh, traveled the world, they've read all the books, they've done every adventurous thing, uh, and then you talk with them and you're, you're kind of like five minutes into it, you're like, this is kind of boring, actually. You know, like, have you ever met people like that? You know, and, and so here's what I think it is. They're, they're selfish, honestly. Uh, and so to be a salty person, you can't just love creation, but you have to be a loving person. Uh, and that's rooted in imitating Christ. Uh, you know, you have to, uh, you, you not only want to love Christ, but you want to love his, his creation and love other people. And so our character expresses itself through saltiness, living lives that attract others to Christ. Um, so how, how is our, our godly living actually evangelistic? We talked about it. We're supposed to be imitating Jesus. We're supposed to love creation, uh, love other people. But how is this evangelistic? Paul makes it very clear uh, at the end of the passage, I think it's verse 6, that he says, people will come to us and ask questions. You know, they'll, they'll say, uh, you know, what, what, what's going on here? And maybe it'll be kind of like uh, questions like, I'm a little bit befuddled over what I see, like this is odd or confusing or, or something, or maybe it'll be something like there's something attractive about you. Uh, what's going on? And so uh, as, as we live lives that are imitating Christ, uh, people will begin to come and ask questions. There's an assumption here that if people are asking questions, it means that we're actually living in the world. Uh, so there's kind of a balance, you know, the living in the world but not of the world stuff. Like that's what needs to be happening here. Uh, we need to be people who are in the world, who are public. Uh, people can see you, they can compare you, uh, they can a- able to ask questions, uh, but you can't be living, uh, you know, you can't be that selfish person who's traveled the world also. You have to be a loving person um, that's, that's inviting and attractive. And so we, uh, how, did, how did these three main points uh, combine? The uh, evangelism through prayer, declaration, and living, t- uh, living godly lives. I think it's like this. Uh, the passage makes it clear, and there's probably other ways we could think of too, but uh, we'll be praying for opportunities to, to share the gospel and, and that people will come under Christ's reign. And as we ourselves are living in, under Christ's reign, uh, people will come, they'll be attracted, they'll ask questions, um, and they'll, uh, they'll wonder what's going on and we'll get to actually have opportunities to share the gospel. So you need all three of them. You know, it's, it's kind of a, it's like a tripod. You know, the tripod will fall over without one. You've got to be having all three, declaration, uh, prayer, and godly living. They all fit together. Um, as a kid, I used to live in central Boulder, and Boulder has a lot of great things about it, uh, but it's not central Boulder, to be honest. And that, that's where the University of Colorado is. Sorry if you're a Buffs fan. Uh, but, but from a Christian perspective, Boulder is, uh, central Boulder is the most lost and, and carnal and dark place I've ever been to. Um, and uh, we used to live near the campus in a little apartment. And back in the, the 80s and early 90s, there was a, a football coach, the Buffs football coach, Coach Bill McCartney, who was a, a godly guy who loved the Lord, uh, and he had a desire for men to be uh, faithful husbands, faithful fathers. And he gave up a very successful football career to start a ministry called the Promise Keepers. Uh, some of you maybe heard of this or have been part of it. Uh, but they, their, their job was to train men uh, to become loving husbands and loving fathers. Uh, and they would meet every morning, or every, every summer they would come together, meet in the morning, and worship in the football stadium. 
Uh, and so you'd have thousands of godly men. They'd be worshiping, they'd be singing, uh, they'd be teaching, encouraging each other. Uh, and one morning, we lived about a mile away, uh, my mom had the window open, uh, and she said she could hear the men singing uh, about a mile away. It wasn't just, wasn't just uh, my mom that could hear them, it was actually all of Boulder, uh, especially central Boulder, that could hear these godly men uh, singing to their Savior. And this, this is a beautiful image, and this is what I think it really means by evangelism. It's when the melody of the hearts, or melody of the gospel, gets caught in our hearts, uh, and other people hear us singing. Amen. That's...